0: Good morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered, dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. Since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God But woman is a glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come.
1: Father, give us a heart of understanding. Give us a spirit that is submissive to your word. Application so that we might be better equipped to be a reflection of your grace in the lost culture that you've placed us in. In Jesus' name, amen. Message entitled simply, Imitators of Christ. Paul said, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Jesus Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. So he begins with instruction. And this whole passage talks about how our worship is seen in the world and to one another. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church that's seeing people come to Christ. And for many years, because our nation was founded upon the principles of God's word, there was some basic order in our culture. There is no order anymore. Very little, right? We don't even know you, you can't hardly say hello, ma'am, or hello, sir, anymore because you might offend somebody. Many of our people went to the board meeting when they had this gender confusion going on. It's still going on in the school, but they were going to make a decision about adding bathrooms for the in-between or whatever, and I remember David Grafe got up with a very good illustration. He said, you know, I really feel Native American. Can I just apply for some scholarships on their native american scholarship because i really feel that way well no that's different no it's not but it's confusing is it not i mean and why is that because case satan ministers chaos god created a world of order and system did he not the more you study science the more you see his fingerprints You know why the leaves turn every year? You think, well, because it gets colder. No, they turn whether it gets colder or not because our orbit around the sun is not a circle. It's an ellipse, you know, like football a little bit. And when it hits a certain point, things change. God made that that way. He put the rainbow in the sky as a sign that he'll never again destroy the earth with a flood. The fact that your nose isn't upside down is a good thing, right? So you don't drown every time it rains. There's such order. And when Charlie or or, uh, our guys come and teach about the order we see in creation, what do we see is God, beauty and order. And God created the world and he got done and he said, it is very good. And he created man and he created woman. And he said it was good. But then man chose sin. Woman was deceived. Adam was not. He chose sin on purpose. He decided to step into that arena that he would be the God of what was good and evil. See, Satan says, you'll be like gods knowing good and evil. They already knew good. But Satan's temptation was, you don't know evil though. And so you're missing out on something. And Adam chose to know evil. And Paul summed it up in Romans chapter 5. So, de- so then sin came in and death passed upon all men. People ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the fallen creation we live in. Disease, destruction, all because man chose sin over God. The chaos we see in our culture is told in Scripture, Romans chapter 1, 19 and 20. When we choose to worship creation over the Creator, then God gives us over to a reprobate mind, and pretty soon we have chaos. That's what we are today. Why? Because our leadership, for the most part, does not recognize right and wrong as stated in the Scripture. I remember years ago, I've said this before, but just so you know that I know I've said it, so I'm not getting that yet, okay? Repeat some things so we get it down. But I think it was after President Bush won one of the elections, and Hillary Clinton, and there was a panel of people, and she's made the statement, we've allowed the conservatives to take the moral high ground. And I thought, what does that mean? How can you have a moral high ground when you're for killing babies and innocent people? How How can that be a moral high ground? easy. Just flip it. Call good evil and call evil good. Now if you take a stand of biblical order, difference between sexes and God knew what he was doing when he created the difference, you're a hater. You're bad. That's the culture we live in. But guess what? That's the culture that the people at Corinth lived in also. And so we have many churches in America, just like the Church of Corinth was starting to experience, that were just allowing the culture to set the standard for what was right and what was wrong and what was acceptable. And so Paul just wants to make sure you understand it matters that you are a follower of Christ and that you demonstrate that you're a follower of Christ and that you were an imitator of Jesus Christ. Now, they had their traditions. Word, another word for it is ordinances. So they knew how to come together, and they had a practice of their worship. They had a way that they gathered around and did communion. They had baptism services. They had testimony services. And he said they were doing those fine. The problem was their life wasn't matching the Scripture in everyday living. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul is given 11 chapters of the doctrine of salvation. And he comes to 12 and he said, Now, because of all that God has done for you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is your spiritual service of worship. That's all of life. That's not just on Sunday. So he says... But I want you to understand how do we imitate Christ we want to know that we've said before that Satan often sneaks into the life of a brand new believer in the form of culture legalism because that new believer just wants to please the Lord well Paul gives principles here that have to do with the heart and how the heart affects how we look on the outside he said first of all We demonstrate that we imitate Christ by loving God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, there's order. In Satan's kingdom, there's chaos and death. And what we want to present to the world is one place they can find order, God's order, not our order, not legalism, but order, loving order. So we said, here's how God created things. Here's how he ordered them. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And that the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Is Christ equal to the Father? Yes, co-equal. But in their ministry, he is submissive to the Father. That's why he prayed in the garden. He said, not my will, but thine be done. If it be any way, Father, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but thine be done. In every way, he demonstrated submission, obedience to the Father. He comes to the last prayer in John 17. He says, Father, I have fulfilled your will. I have, glorified, I have glorified you on the earth by accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had before when we created the world. Doesn't mean that men, are not, uh, women, men and women are not equal. They are equal, but they have a different role And God created that way for order and for strength and for protection, the protection of authority. And so we demonstrate our love for God, like John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, if we love God, we keep his commandments and his commandments are not a burden. Now listen, they may be challenging. You may come from a culture out there in the world that says, you know, the song i am woman hear me roar as i knock you to the floor or whatever the song says and i know too much to go back and pretend right yeah there are decisions to make when you come to christ you might come from a different culture but you submit yourself to god's kingdom that's what salvation is you just don't get to do whatever you want say well, i am a follower of christ but here's how he comes along with me no there's a submission there and it's only by the grace of God that you even have that desire. Now, it's more of a challenge for some people than it is for others. But it's not just submission for men or for women. It's also submission for men. Because the Bible gives some very serious instruction in 1 Peter chapter 3. See, men, you weren't created to be the boss of your home. Everybody's got to do what you say because you're the biggest and baddest and you're stronger and and you just bully everybody. That is not what God intended. That is a result of the fall. In salvation, what God wants you to be is that inspiration, that, that example in your family that they want to be like Christ because they're following you and they want to please the Lord. Just like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Peter said, Tusman's, if you don't honor your wife, God's not going to listen to your prayers. I would take that as a threat because there's no day that I don't need to talk to the Lord. There is no day that I don't need his help. I don't want the Lord saying, I'm not listening to you because you're not honoring your wife. You're not providing for her. You're not being the spiritual leader that God has called you to be. So this isn't just a one-way deal here. It's both men and women fulfilling their roles so that we might be the example to the world. What actually is seen in the wedding, Ephesians chapter five, in the marriage, is Christ's love for the church and the church's loving submission to Christ. I normally have short wedding ceremonies because I want people to listen and it doesn't take too long if there are people that of other uh, persuasions that come to church and all the women leave with their hackles up. Did Joe hear what he said? A lot of times they've just taken out of the vows. It talks about when the wife willingly will submit to the leadership. Oh, they, we don't want that in there. No, nothing about submission in there. No, no, no. We've come too far. And yet what we have when you have a wife who lovingly submits to Christ. Now sometimes in counseling women will say, well, I just can't trust him because he did this or that or whatever. And they think that's going to really impact me that they don't have to submit their husband now. It's like, no, no, no. You just trust the Lord. You submit to the Lord as a loving creator who will do what is right. You trust God to change his heart. One of the greatest encouragements in my ministry is seeing some of the women in our church who are married to unsaved guys, but living out the gospel before their husbands and before us as they lovingly submit they, they, you know, I tell, I tell in the marriage vows. I say, hey, the Bible says very clearly, now you're going to submit to him like he's Jesus. And you think, what? Would you submit? Well, yeah, because he's Jesus. Okay, you submit to him like he's Jesus. That's exactly what Ephesians 5 says. I say, but he's not Jesus. I know that. That's why you're going to have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your, your focus is not going to be on him, but on Jesus Christ says the same things when we, we go out and work for a boss. And Paul said, don't work for your boss with eye services. Me. Well, my boss is a jerk, so I'm just going to cheat him here and there. You're cheating God. You submit unto your boss like he's the Lord, but you have the Lord in view. Now, when he asks you to do something that's against the Bible, then you're going to have to quit, get to the job. But otherwise, you have that opportunity to demonstrate that you trust God. For your provision, for your protection, and the same in the marriage. So what is seen in a godly marriage is this idea of godly, loving submission. Men to Jesus Christ in all things, and women to their husbands. Supernatural. It is supernatural living. It takes grace. There's not one husband here that deserves that. I will tell you that unequivocally. Not one husband deserves that kind of submission. But it's the picture. And it's what grace Grace has seen so clearly when they've come to a home and they find that kind of order. So in this culture, there was the tradition that a woman wore a head covering, some kind of veil. But some people in the church, some of the women in the church say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And Paul says, listen, you're doing some things because of culture. It's an attitude that comes from the heart, but you want to demonstrate to the culture around you that there's order, that there's the order of God's creation restored in your home. You see, Satan brought chaos and he brought trouble. So the man will now desire because of sin to just rule over his wife because he's the boss. That's something we have to struggle with, guys. And women, he said... The problem with women now in the flesh because of sin is they're going to think that they know better and they need to manipulate. So, well, that was for past times. I mean, come on, how many thousand years ago was that? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it is a challenge for every woman, no matter how vocal you may be. And it's a challenge for every husband to be that loving example, that inspiration. So you can fight it in your heart, but this is God's word. God's word, but when you see that picture lived out because the Holy Spirit has restored those people to what God intended, what an amazing reflection of God's power and what an influence that can be in a culture of salt and light to make people thirsty because that's what they're looking for, for the peace that God can bring. And when God brings peace, it comes with his order. So in this culture, they wore a veil. Now, when you, go to, uh, when you go to Israel, you'll see both the Muslim women wear, depending on the sect they're a part of, some kind of veil. But you will also see the Israeli women. If they're a married woman, they have a scarf on. Very beautiful. It's not like a hood or anything, but it's just a scarf. And that denotes that she's married. It's the symbol of authority, kind of like what he's talking about but paul goes on to say it's not just about wearing a hat now i'm old enough to remember my aunts and my mom sitting around talking about so and so's hat in church because in the in the 50s and 60s all the women wore hats it was part of that culture that you showed that authority we still have some of that authority don't we some of those traditions when a man goes into the building what do you do what do you do you take off your hat This is where this comes from. Take off your hat. So you got a really nice cowboy hat, fellas, take it off when you go inside of what? The library, the school building, the church, the courthouse, places where there's authority. You show your authority. You show your respect for the authority by removing your hat. Now, we've kind of gone away from that, haven't we? I used to have practice in the weight room that Coach D. started. Guys, coming with their baseball has to work out. Take your hat off, because <sighs> I said so. What happens when the young man takes his hat off? He recognizes there's a coach there. There's authority here, because he may not be part of my football players. He may be a basketball player, swimmer. But when he comes in the weight room, I don't think they do this anymore. But comes in the weight room because Coach Diete said you take your hat off. He had that rule in his classroom also. Not many do. David said he was, my son David was helping him teach one day. And uh, this kid came in and he said, Hey, take your hat off. Wasn't the first day of school? Kid goes, listen to this old man. So he sat in his chair. He never experienced Detai football before. He had awakening coming. Detai went over took the hat, slammed on the floor, got in that young man's face, and he let him know, when you come in my classroom, you will take your hat off. Now open your book and study. And he sat there like this. We don't have that much anymore. You know what's happened? We're losing as a culture. When a teacher used to tell you something, you did it. Now, lady, you go tell your parents, they're making me do this. You, you, they'll find out. School district would find out if was doing something wrong. But now, oh, no, you can't tell kids anything. And guess what? We have more social garbage being taught than reading, writing, arithmetic, and history. It's chaos. Paul just saying, we don't need that in the church. It's very simple. I've said we don't need that in church. If there are cultural symbols of showing your submission to authority, then you do those things. Now he uses hair and coverings as an example because God made Men and women different. If you hadn't noticed. I thought I had child figured out till we got Hannah. Girls are a whole nother deal. There are books written for dads. I think especially for dads who raise boys because they're easy. So they know how to talk to girls. It's just different. They're different. And God made the differences beautiful. But he said, when you come to God's people, there ought to be that order, that loving submission. And what are the reasons? He said, because God made them the way in the order that he made them. There ought to be a distinction in a woman's hair. Now, it doesn't say how long is long or how short is too short, but there ought to be a distinction. Ladies, if you feel convicted your hair is too short, then let it grow. You say, well, I don't have conviction about that. Well, then check with your husband and ask him but it ought to be distinctly feminine from the men and he says doesn't even nature remember you just quoted that doesn't even nature teach you what is he saying there most guys there are some guys can grow beautifully long hair and there there are some women have really thin hair but for the most part the way God made us guys can't grow really good looking long hair it just gets stringy and it's you know male pattern baldness and all that stuff it's just not as good It's just the way God put us together. He's just saying God made us different. There ought to be a distinction. And you ought to be able to go to church and see the distinction of God's creation, the order and the beauty that he made us differently. God's kingdom. Then he goes on to say, man does not originate, verse 8, man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. You get that? So if you think you know better, you should be leading your home. Say, no, no, no. God gave you to that husband to be a help to him, not for him to have you finish him and tell him what to do. John MacArthur says, the point is that man shows how magnificent a creature God can create from himself, while woman shows how magnificent a creature God can make from a man. God created man with his own hands from the dust of the earth, and then he took his hands and took a rib out of Adam's side, and he created woman. Isn't that a neat principle? Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. What? What do the angels have to do with this? John MacArthur says, It is proper for a woman to cover her head as a sign of subordination because of the angels in order that these most submissive of all creatures will not be offended by non-submissiveness. Wiersbe says, In some special way, the angels share in the public worship of the church and learn from the church. Public worship is a serious thing for the angels are present and we ought to conduct ourselves as if we were in heaven. That's serious, isn't it? You ever get the feeling somebody's watching you? you see, the angels are watching us. We should make sure we're a, an encouragement and not a stomach block. Angels are perfected in righteousness, but but not a discouragement to the angels. He leaves with this comment, verse 16. If one inclined is inclined to be contentious, we don't have any other practice. What's the attitude of your heart? Is it you just know better and so you don't have to? You're more mature than your husband, so you don't have to? Or for weak husbands, well, I'm not that good a leader anyway. I'll just let her lead and yeah, that's fine. We don't have the practice of that contention in the church. Paul's laying it down there. We have communion, our worship service, things we do. We also are to be demonstrating a submissive heart to God's kingdom and his order. Then he switches. It seems that he switches subject, but what he's dealing with is the same thing. How are you living out what you profess God has placed inside? So first we said, are you loving God's kingdom and his order, his creation? Are you demonstrating that order restored? Secondly, Are you loving God's family? He said, now in giving this instruction, I can't praise you because you're not loving one another. You come together not for the better, but for the worse. You're worse because you come together. We ought to come together and get encouraged and get built up to go out and live before the world, but you guys are discouraging one another. For in your eating, one takes his own supper. And one is hungry and another one is drunk. They had what they, they practiced what was kind of came down from the first Passover, that, that first communion that the Lord gave and they had a love feast. They would just have the whole kind of Passover deal. and Then they have a special time where they break the bread and a cup of blessing. And so they would have communion along with the supper. Can you imagine, can you even imagine going to a church where they had separate lines If your income's above this much, you go in this line with your family. But if you're down here, you go in this line. That's what was going on. They get together and they call each other, hey, what are you bringing? I'll bring this, I'll bring that. And so then they have their own table. And somebody thought they could say, oh, I'm sorry, Uh, this is for so-and-so. And so, no, we brought our own food. And some people came to church and they were hungry. Think that would cause a little bit of frustration and hatred? Now, that's not right. Even for the poor poor people to react wrongly, that's not an excuse. But Paul says, what are you doing? We cannot call that the Lord's table. Shall I praise you? Verse 22, I'm not going to praise you. And he gets back to the very basic, and that is the gospel. That's the gospel. First John 3.16, he said, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us And we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. Then Paul says, I received the Lord, that which also I delivered to you. He's talking about communion. Remember, he said they received the all of the ordinances and they were carrying them out. They were doing the outside, but their heart was wrong, just like the Pharisees. And on the outward, they were all like sepulchers. They were all white, and they had their, their church go-to-beating clothes on, but on the inside, there's all kinds of corruption and dead men's bones. I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you. And then get this, that Jesus in the same night in which he's betrayed, think of the emotion that's going on there. When he was teaching on the temple grounds, God began to lay the burden of what was going to happen on Jesus. He knew it was coming. He went to the cross on purpose, but all of a sudden the reality was laid upon him. And he said, my heart is so heavy. The disciples didn't get it. So he gathers them into the room and he said, I'm so glad to share this meal with you. And what were they doing? They were in the middle of arguing about who was the greatest Isn't that the same spirit that was there in Corinth? Well, we can't share it with you. You're not in our little crew, our little clique. Listen, you know when a church is healthy, when their focus is always reaching the lost, when the focus comes inward and we start looking at one another, there's going to be all kinds of faction. That's what Paul said was going on all kinds of faction. Verse 19, he said, now I understand factions are going to come. That's part of the process. You're not going to find a perfect church. But you know, a church becomes a good church based upon how it handles problems. Just like a good marriage, how do you solve problems? Do you come together in love and prayer? Or whoever has the loudest argument, that's the guy that wins. And so pretty soon... There's always tension in your marriage or in the church. We just got to do what so-and-so says. Otherwise, it's just more peaceful if we don't, you know, so we just do. Your marriage can be like that and your church can be like that. But Paul says there's no perfect church, but how we handle it proves, as Benjamin quoted, who's genuine. Who's really genuinely submitted to the Holy Spirit? Who really wants to know what God wants in this situation? It's necessary that there's faction every once in a while so there could be the demonstration of how do you deal with trouble in love, in mercy, in wisdom, going to God in prayer to find out what his answers are. Here's the Lord. How does he handle this when there's this dissension going on among the disciples? He simply goes and gets an apron and puts it on and begins to wash their feet. Oh, I'll bet it got quiet. Nobody knew what to say. They knew what their heart was. He Just quietly began to serve them. He comes to Peter. Remember, Peter? Oh, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. The Lord says, well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you're no part of this thing. Oh, well, wash everything, Lord. Lord says, no, Peter, just necessary. You're already washed. I just need to wash your feet. And they sit down. And their heart's not ready yet. But he says, takes the bread and he breaks it. And he said, this is my body. I lay down for you. That's what we quoted in 1 John 3.16. If you love the brethren, you're willing to lay your life down for the brethren. So obviously you're going to share your food with them. Anything you have, if you're willing to die for another believer, you're willing to share, you're willing to try to find a way to get along. And when we don't, we're demonstrating we want our way. We think our way is better than God's. And you know what? That's a reality. How many times in discussions and problems is because we just decided we're going to do it our way. We don't care what the word of God says. We don't care what anybody else thinks. We're just going to do it. Just going to do it. But here's the Lord. The highest pressure in his life. He's going to leave this room and go to the Garden of Gethsemane and say, Lord, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But here he breaks the bread. He said, This is my body. I'm going to give it for you. They come to the cup of blessing and he says, This new promise, this new covenant. Now, see, this is where some. Different religions get off. They'll talk about another testament of Jesus Christ. Well, no, no. Covenant was always ratified by blood. So where's the other sacrifice? Because Jesus said, no, I'm just dying once. That's it. Dying once for all. So testament doesn't mean book. It means covenant. He said, this covenant, this promise I'm making, and I will ratify it in my own blood. Because every time there was a covenant made, There was a sacrifice. He said, I'm the sacrifice. Then he rose again from the dead to be our advocate before the Father. No, I paid for that sin. I paid for that person. I died for them. It's the foundation of our love for one another. You look around in our church, there are so many different kinds of people, races, nations, different economic places, Different attitudes, different cultures, and yet God, in His love, because of His grace, gives us that opportunity to be together. And the world goes, What? Hey, this race is supposed to be over there and be against this race, and this is supposed to have animosity against this person. No, no. We are one in Christ, and it's only possible because of His grace that was demonstrated at the cross. This is the gospel. Then he says, verse 26, For as oft as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, the question becomes, are you proclaiming the Lord's death? Are you doing the ordinances in a worthy manner or an unworthy manner? Because next verse he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That means you're not living out Christ in your home. You're not living out Christ in the world and then you walk into the church and just take communion and everything's fine? Well, nobody knows. God knows. So how do you deal with that? He said, so let each one examine himself. Because if you don't examine yourself and you allow sin to just go on, God's going to bring discipline into your life. Hebrews chapter 12, he scourges every son he receives. And no discipline for the moment seems joyous. It's grievous, but when it's done, it brings brings forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God deals with his children. So that's why we practice close communion. Closed communion is when you go to a church and they won't share with you because you're not from that denomination or a member of that particular church. And we don't stand at the door and the ushers say, well, here, you can take communion today. Oh, no, I'm sorry, you can't. We don't like what you're doing. No, no. That'd be closed communion where the church controls who gets it. It's close communion based upon this doctrine. Let each man examine himself and then let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Because when you don't do that and you go on with your life and you don't check sin and that's not a problem to you, you think you can have the attitudes in your home, in the, on your job, in the church that you do that are wrong and sinful... It says you eat and drink judgment to yourself you don't judge the body rightly and that's why some people are sick in Corinth and some people have died because they thought I don't have to deal with that I'm saved I do the communion I go to church God gets this far and no more and you know what you're missing out on you're missing out of the joy of full submission to him that's what you're missing out on yeah but I don't know if I submit this to part of my life what's it going to be like Somehow we have this perverted sense that somehow if we keep a little sin or a little rebellion, our life is going to be better with God than if we let it go. Now, when we say it like that, it doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense at all. And you are not the standard for what that is. God's word is. God's word. So he said, but when we're judged, we're disciplined by the Lord. He loves us and therefore he brings discipline. Why? Because he wants us to walk in that joy and that holiness. And he wants to discipline us so that we're not condemned along with the world. Now he says there in Hebrews 12, he doesn't discipline other people's children, just his own. That's a sign of his love. But it's not something you want. Rather, it ought to be to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. He finishes and he says, listen. When you come together and you're going to eat, you're going to share, communion. wait for another. Very simple, right? That's what we do. We pass out the elements. Or if you're in a church, you go forward and get them. You go back to your chair and then you sit. And when the pastor says, you know, remember me. And so you eat the bread, you drink the cup. We do that together. Some churches don't do that. I just think it's simple. He said, wait for one another. I think that's what the Lord did. He passed the bread. He broke it. And he said, Every time you eat the bread, remember me. And what they do? They ate the bread. He said, every time you drink the cup, remember what it cost. Remember me. And they drank the cup together. So if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. And you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I'll arrange when I come. It was what Jesus did on us uh, for Calvary, was that enough? Isaac Watts thought it was. He wrote a song. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. So what are you holding back? What is holiness? Holiness is simply being set aside for God's use. In the temple, there were different instruments, and it was only to be used for that purpose that God intended it for. They didn't take, you know, the menorah home and use it at home. It was just for the tabernacle it was just for the temple. There were different instruments they used for the sacrifice. That's all it was to be used for. You are only to be used for God's glory. That's it. We read it last week. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. We have been set aside for his purposes, not ours, his. So what does it mean to be solely set apart? as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a young person? What does that mean? That you're available to go, to speak, to function, to look like Christ would have you to look, to function, how he would have you to function that you might reflect his glory in this lost culture that so desperately needs Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that the truths of the word would sink into our heart, that we would be a clear and clear reflection of your grace and your holiness to the culture you've placed us in, in the world. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.